The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. We've discovered the world's best craftsmen and techniques. Using materials native to the region and tools accustomed to individual craftsmen, we strive for perfection every step of the way. With all of this, you'll see the details of your own story, the story of a life well-crafted. This is the story Craft tells. Welcome to the House of Roll. of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. Time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Good morning and welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. It's October in California. That means cold one day and then heat and wind the next. So today and tomorrow are spare the air days and we'll see almost 90 degree temperatures. And if you see smoke on the hilltops or you think you see smoke, report it immediately. The high winds can turn an ember into a full-fledged conflagration. That's awful. In just minutes. While in Washington, the first impeachment inquiry hearings and staff interviews with witnesses were taking place amid charges and countercharges filling the airways with breathless reporters and breaking news. We've had a pretty informative week on the campaign trail. The president's daily tweets, scrums, and screeds about Joe Biden and corruption are having an effect. Joe came in fourth in the September fundraising numbers behind Elizabeth, Bernie, and Pete. Yes, fourth. It's not that the Democrats believe the allegations from President Trump, it's that many, many Democratic donors see them as a sign of what's to come, thus piercing Joe Biden's bubble of invincibility and inevitability as the guy who can beat Trump. And that patina of corruption that Trump is trying to brush Biden with is the subject of most of today's conversation. Biden is only two years younger than Bernie Sanders and five years older than Trump. Age is a factor that some of his supporters must also reckon with. But that age factor only becomes important if he can navigate the minefield of corruption and influence peddling charges being launched against him and his son by the president and the president's many surrogates. While even the stalwart, even those who are totally in the Trump tank, 
supporters of the president, for example, Senator Lindsey Graham, have always lauded the vice president as both a good friend and an honest man. The president's daily repetition of charges of corruption are taking their toll. The truth of the matter, when it comes to Vice President Biden, corruption in the Ukraine, and Hunter Biden's professional possible exploitation of his famous family name, things are more complicated. And let's try and take a few minutes to unravel some of that complication and look at the larger implications. Yes, Vice President Biden did threaten to withhold over a billion dollars in aid to Ukraine if the Ukrainian parliament did not fire the notoriously corrupt public prosecutor Shokin. Biden carried the big stick. You know, the United States is a very big part of the International Monetary Fund who was providing those funds. Biden did carry a big stick, but he was acting at the behest of anti-corruption forces in Ukraine, as well as the Congress, White House, and State Department of the United States. In other words, the removal of that very corrupt and, and, and provably corrupt uh, general prosecutor in Ukraine was a condition that Congress had laid on the aid. So Congress and the International Monetary Fund uh, and other international organizations who were part of that um, uh, of that billion dollar aid package wanted to remove this very corrupt person who was a holdover from the previous uh, administration where the president had had to flee to Russia. So that was the condition there. Okay, um, <clears throat> and. And the billion dollars was also a signal to Balkan NATO members, Estonia, Finland, etc., who were anxious, very anxious about the commitment of their big partners in NATO um, after the outrageous Russian annexation of of, uh, the Crimea. So the charge that the Ukrainian um, parliament made at the time of Shokin's firing was that he had not been aggressive enough. He had not been investigating potential corruption at, at Brasima Holdings, that he had not, in fact, gone after that gas company um, that, that Hunter Biden would later be associated with. Biden, the IMF, Congress, which appropriates the International Monetary Fund funding, okay, um, so you didn't know that, did you? Um, that's the U.S. taxpayer money. And others fear that if Shokin was in office, U.S. and other na- nations' tax dollars would find their way into the pockets of notorious Ukrainian oligarchs. Shokin had investigated the Brasima, uh, and I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm uh, fracturing that, um, I don't speak Ukrainian or Russian. Um, <clears throat> Shokin had, invested, uh, had investigated that company concerning some special permit the company had received during the prior pro-Russian government. In other words, every permit during the pro-Russian government period um, carried two surcharges. 
one surcharge was for the oligarchs in the Ukraine, and one went directly to our old friend, um, President Putin. So it was true that there were some special permits, uh, but that was a, that period was while you know Russian a Russian um, surrogate was sitting in the presidency of the Ukraine, and that was in 2010 and 2012. When Hunter Biden joined the board in 2014, there was no investigation underway, according to the National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine, which is a global partner of the FBI. All that said, all of that, all those facts laid down, about who, when, and why. Hunter Biden did did not get paid $50,000 a month to sit on a board of directors seat because he was the best lawyer in Washington, D.C. He does have a good reputation as a lawyer, despite his personal history. But let's not kid ourselves here. Hunter Biden's value was in his proximity and access, or at least his perceived proximity and access. Joe Biden has said they never talked about the details of what Hunter's work on the board of directors was. And that could be true. You know, board of directors notes are not all that exciting most of the time. It's it's kind of in the business world, a sort of a penalty to have to read the minutes of most board meetings. It's a lot of, of um, legalistic stuff. Um, although the purpose of the board is to provide oversight um, and keep the um, management of a particular company on the straight and narrow and and work with them on strategic direction. Uh, Again, Biden is a lawyer. So I'm not kidding myself. Um, It's possible they never discussed it. I doubt it. Um, but we don't know what those discussions were, and they didn't influence U.S. policy in any way that that we can um, discern. And certainly a lot of people have looked. In China, the other um, question of the week, Hunter Biden is part of a group that is trying to raise Chinese venture capital to invest outside of China. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. All right, Joyce, we're back. I cut you off there because we had to go to a commercial break, but uh, you're back. I'm sorry. We should tell everybody we're working. We're, we're working with with a handicap this week because we're working. I'm working remotely because. Um, I have a very sick dog. Admit it, Joyce. You're, you're just phoning it in. I I am phoning it in. Literally. It's been, it, it, it's been two nights with no sleep. So um, literally, we are phoning it in. But we're going to do the best we can because this is really important material. So stay with us, folks, because the punchline is worth it. So as I was saying... When we come to, the, to Hunter Biden and China, well, 
Biden is part of a group that is trying to raise Chinese venture capital to invest outside of China. So, you know, I almost see that as virtuous. I mean, China takes in so much of our money. If we can get some of it um, back through uh, venture capital, I'm not sure that that's a bad thing. Um, He sits on the board of that venture capital company, but it's an unpaid position. And, And there is absolutely nothing illegal and as I said, it could even if you if you're taking money out of China, um, and and using it um, for purposes for virtuous purposes in in either the developing world or even here in in the USA, I'm not sure that that's um, a bad thing. Uh, but the fund, that particular fund, which has never paid out any money to any of the investors. And Biden owns, so this is one of the reasons he sits on the board, is that he owns 10% of the fund, uh, which he purchased himself for a um, about a half a million dollars, $450,000 and change. But until that fund is dissolved and cashed out, we won't know if Hunter Biden made or lost money on that particular investment. Um the way venture funds work is a lot of the companies that a venture fund invests in lose money. And, and you have to have one big winner or all the investors actually lose money. So you never know in these VC funds, um, unless there's one big whale, uh, whether or not you're actually going to get your money back, which is a reason why I wonder why you know, uh, public pension funds get invested in venture capital uh, but that's a subject for a different day when we have less confusing news to deal with. So, again, none of this is illegal. Um, Biden, Hunter Biden has invested money in a fund, and he sits on the board as a result, and he has never seen any uh, return on that investment at this point in time. Now that I'm sure he anticipates someday seeing the the return on his investment, but that hasn't happened yet. So let's take a step back. Heavens to Mercatroy, since when have access and proximity not been peddled by our first families? It's hard to forget Billy Carter and his dubious adventures in Libyan oil which brought a Senate rebuke of President Carter shortly before the 1980 election. While the Senate found that Billy's misadventures had no impact on U.S. policy, they rebuked the president for not keeping a tighter rein on his younger brother. And I think it is fair for voters to, in the Ukrainian situation, um, say, Joe Biden, why didn't you keep a tighter rein on your son? I think that's a fair question. Um, just as the Senate asked that question of President Carter um, almost 40 years ago now. And who, who among us who can admit to remembering 1980, who among us can forget Billy Beer? I mean, and Billy Beer was a Saturday night joke before SNL. 
And then there were the brothers Rodham. You, who is a lawyer, and Tony, who was a college dropout, who ended up married to the now-retired California Senator Barbara Boxer's daughter, and then through that connection worked for the Democratic Party. Well, the Rodham Brothers' specialty was mostly in influence peddling. They started around the first Clinton inauguration selling access to the Clintons at various inaugural functions. Um, You, Rodham, used his name to become part of a couple of the really big um, anti-tobacco lawsuits uh, where he made a fair amount of money. And, and similar misadventures. The difference that resulted very frequently in the White House having to interfe- intervene and stop their behavior only after having um, sent out statements disavowing that behavior uh, publicly. Especially, especially when the two brothers got together with um, a, a, a person in the Republic of Georgia who turned out to be the arch enemy of the recognized president of the, of the country of Georgia, the Republic of Georgia, which is another um, former Soviet satellite that is uh, suffering uh, still as we speak. Um, from uh, onslaughts and attempts by the Russians to take pieces of their territory. But I digress. Uh, back when the, when the Rodhams were uh, part of the Clinton um, entourage, they got, they, they got involved in an effort to sell a monopoly of hazelnuts uh, in, the pub, in the Republic of Georgia. And hazelnuts um, in Eastern Europe are, are a, a quite, quite a delicacy. Um, and, and that one caused a major White House kerfuffle at the time. And then there is Chelsea Clinton. Chelsea Clinton's first job out of graduate school is another great example of the importance of proximity. A first-year salary of $125,000 at McKinsey & Company in 2016 for someone with no work experience, no business degree, no background in business, economics, or statistics, might raise some eyebrows, although they do pay their incoming class about that today. But in in 2003, in 2003, that was the salary of a very senior consulting professional. I know because I was one. And, I mean, our mouths were hanging open when we read what McKinsey was paying her. What was McKinsey interested in? They weren't interested in what Chelsea Clinton had learned at Oxford. Nah. They, what, what they wanted to know was who she knew. And nobody, nobody at the time made any bones about it. Or have we forgotten about the Clinton Foundation, which made the Clintons mega millionaires? I mean, remember the famous quote from Hillary, when we left the White House, we were dead broke. I mean, somebody else paid the mortgage on the house in Chappaquit, 
quit one of their one of their donors. I mean, they were dead broken. And the Clinton Foundation, now defunct, most of it's now defunct, made them very, very rich people. The Bushes and the Obamas were more conscious of the appearance of impropriety. You know, um, that may be because politics is, is a five-generation, as Laura Bush says, business for the Bushes. Um, there was, of course, the revelation of a no-contest drunk driving conviction when George W. was in college that came out just before the election. And then the Bush daughters did get caught in a bar with fake IDs, which was handled ge- by the geographically closest relative at the time, their grandmother, Barbara, also known in the family as the enforcer. There was no repetition of that sort of behavior. And I'm going to have to be the enforcer here at this juncture, Joyce, because we need to go to a break. Oh, okay. I was just getting to the Obamas and their sins. Well, let's do that on the other side of this uh, break. More on the Obamas and their sins. Okay. Listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back to talk about the Obama sins. Well, there was a big kerfuffle when. Um, when Barack Obama found the time to pen and then publish yet another book while he was in the White House that made several million dollars, uh, you know, through um, purchases by individuals like you and me. Now, I believe most of that money was given to charity, but there was quite a kerfuffle about how the president could find the time to in um, another book while, you know, doing the nation's business. And then, of course, there was the scandal that Obama was upstaged at an NCAA tournament by his brother-in-law, who's the basketball coach at Oregon, at Oregon State. But it would be hard to deny, it would be hard to deny that Jenna Bush Hager got her foot in the door at NBC because of who she was and that she has made the most of that opportunity. The same could be said of Megan McCain or Abby Huntsman. Would either of them have been hired by Fox or migrated to mega status on ABC's The View if their names were Dominich or Livingston, which, by the way, it is. That's their married names. And then, folks, there are the Trumps. Nepotism has never been seen as blatantly as Javanka. Perhaps not since the so-called son-in-law of Andrew Jackson served as his, as his private secretary at a very different time in our history. Ivanka sat next to Chairman Chi at dinner and magically just, woo! 
magically several highly sought-after and difficult, elusive Chinese patents appeared at the company that bears her name. China is the largest consumption economy. It is not the largest economy in the world, but China is the largest consumption economy in the world. That means those patents are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, most of it you know, generated within China. Do you want to know how tough it is to get patent protection in China, the kind of protection that Ivanka has? Apple went to court in China to protect just their logo, not even their patents, just their logo, and they lost. And you can read more about that case at reimagineamerica.org. You just do a search on Apple. And we are still wondering about Jared and the Qataris and 666 Fifth Avenue, plus the Brothers Trump and the Air Force and Scottish Hotels and the Attorney General's Christmas party now scheduled at the Trump Hotel for $30,000. And then there are the Saudi days at the Trump Tower and other Trump facilities like Mar-a-Lago. Just saying, folks, people who live in glass houses should be careful were they cast stones. So all of this adds up, all these facts about proximity add up to one simple fact. Proximity to the Oval Office creates its own set of business opportunities for those who have that proximity. But that proximity has never been weaponized as it is being now. And if we use this current kerfuffle as a teachable moment, we have two choices. We either, as voters, as citizens, can shrug our shoulders and say, well, it figures. That's just the way the ball bounces, that people uh, would want to hire or collaborate with people who are close to the Oval Office, who have access, who have both a type of celebrity and the ability to whisper sweet nothings. Or we say, if it's out of bounds for Hunter Biden to pursue business opportunities in the Ukraine and China while his father was vice president or, in the case of China, after his father left the, the, administ- the um, uh, executive office. If the answer to that question is yes, then it is equally unacceptable for Ivanka to pursue lucrative patents for a business she pretends not to own while conducting official government business with the Chinese government. Next, we have to ask about what about Hunter Biden's investment since his father left government service in January of 2017? Does Hunter Biden have a right to make a living? He's a lawyer. His father was vice president of the United States and is a very well-liked person on both sides of the aisle. That makes him a Washington insider, a valuable commodity for any company. It's all about not, it's less about what you know than who you know. And that is true. Most of you listening to this podcast or radio show know that in your own careers, it's been more important who you knew than what you knew. And so does does Hunter Biden at this point, um, as, as a lawyer and as a person who then takes the money he makes as a lawyer 
and invests it, does he have a right to make a living? Because his father was vice president. Does he in 2019, did he in 2017 or in 2014 have a right to make a living? Is his right any less than Bill Barr's son who is working at the White House? So, you know, I don't ask that to cast aspersion on Bill Barr's son, who may be a fabulous lawyer, probably is. His father has a reputation as a fabulous lawyer. Um, You know, the the politics that get sticky with him and how he uses um, his administrative position, not his legal mind. So, you know, again, does Hunter Biden have a right to make a living? Is that right any less than Bill Barr's son, who's working at the White House? I ask it again because you see how messy all this gets. Are these the points? Are these the points on which you, as a voter, want to wage the 2020 presidential campaign? Are these the issues that you as an American want our allies and adversaries to watch play out while laughing at us up their sleeves? I don't. I think there are far more important issues before the country. And I hope you agree. I think we need to wage this campaign about the quality of life the national security of of the individual in this country, the national security of all of us, and that includes economic security. So at some point we're going to have to talk about debt and deficits and other things. But right this moment, speaking of telling it straight, Bernie Sanders had a heart attack this past Tuesday. Much as his wife and their spokespeople tried to dance around that fact, It is a fact. And while I wish Bernie a speedy recovery, I wonder if this should not be the moment of reflection for a 78-year-old man who's reluctant to release his health records. Yeah, I think he should definitely, uh, if I was Bernie, I'd, I'd, I'd call it quits. I mean, that, that's, that's life you're talking about there. Like he needs, he needs to, he needs to, to relax hang out with the grandkids. Well, it does, I, yeah, I think he does have some of those. But, you know, it's when you just think about campaigning for the presidency, you know, there are a couple of big words that begin with E that are involved in a run for the presidency. One of them is ego. That's the most important from the inside of, you know, from Bernie's, insides is is ego and you know what you don't run for president if you do not have an ego if you don't believe that that and i'm going to quote put quotes around this now not i'm not saying i um you have to have the belief that i and i alone have the answers to the same set of intractable issues that have plagued every president since the 1970s you really have to believe that and bernie does but you also have to have a lot of energy, and Bernie has shown less and less of that. It takes even more energy to be truly an effective president. And the toll is that the presidency, if you do it well, if, you, if you're if you in the Oval Office and you're on Air Force One and you're dealing with 
you know, life and death crises in a serious way. All right, got to go to a break. We'll be right back with more. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. But just a closing thought. You know, Vince, I think you're absolutely right about where Bernie Sanders is today. You know, if, if Bernie Sanders is a patriot rather than an ego-driven partisan, um, he would see his near miss in Las Vegas this week as a moment to step back and hand the flag off to the next runner. Um, he is, at this moment, as old as Ronald Reagan was when he left the White House in January 1989. And that was five years before his Alzheimer's diagnosis. I am just agreeing with Jimmy Carter, who doesn't think 80 is young enough to be president. And he he has been both the president and 80. And, you know, I think that is part of what we as voters need to think about. You know, the the greatest possibility, if we look at the polls right this very moment, is that <clears throat> we will have two candidates in their 70s running for a four-year term that is for the most exhausting job in the entire world. Does that make sense? We have, since the middle of the last century, actually since the end of World War II, we have tended to elect men. I'm sorry, ladies, but they've all been white men. Uh, it's a fact. Uh, they've all been men. Um, I'm sorry, Barack. Um, but they've all been some men. People would, all- some people would argue that Barack was white, too. I know. I, I know I, I heard Miss Maxwell's claim that he is, you know, that we've had 45 white men, uh, that Barack's not black. But um, <clears throat> setting that quibble aside, the fact is that all those people have been in their, starting with John Kennedy in their 40s, many in their 50s, and a couple in their 60s. There have been questions raised about Ronald Reagan's mental acuity in the last couple of years of his presidency. And remember, he left that presidency younger than Bernie Sanders is today. Younger or or almost at the same age that Joe Biden would be on entering the White House. If Trump is reelected, he will reach 78 while in office. So the only person who'd be under 75 would be Elizabeth Warren of that top tier. And, and I wonder if, again, instead of taking these kerfuffles as, um, you know, uh, fodder for Saturday Night Live, if, if we stood back and said, seriously, folks, 
maybe in addition to term limits, we need some age limits on a job which is so difficult. Maybe we're all, or the media is creating these inevitable figures while ignoring, at least in the Democratic nomination contest, a, a number of very able people in their 50s who can't get beyond 2% in the polls. And polls are based on, drum roll please, da-da-da-da, name recognition. So if the media keeps saying that you are inevitable, you're going to rank in the polls. If the media says you're not inevitable, you won't rank in the polls because you won't get the media attention. It's called in the business earned media. In other words, media you didn't pay for but got for free. So, you know, I just, I raised that as a question. Um, I think it might be time to consider. I know we, we all think we're going to live forever. Uh, hopefully we will. Um, we all think in our 70s um, we're still spry chickens, but the fact of the matter is this is not your average um, job for a 70-year-old or someone over 70. So <clears throat> I think we've covered uh, the presidency, the, the run for the presidency effectively. So let's take just the last couple of minutes we have together and let's talk about our friends on the Hill. After an exhausting two weeks of work in September, oh my God, Congress is again on recess until October the 15th. In theory, this is a period when congresspersons are supposed to be in their districts holding town halls, meeting with constituents, and yes, raising all important campaign contributions. Wait, they're doing town halls again already? I thought that wasn't, they just did that. No, you're supposed to do town halls. That's what you have these recess periods for. And so you can go home and do town halls and be available and physically present for your constituents and meet with them and so forth. But don't they go back home every week? Like, aren't they only in Washington for like three days? Some are, some are not. You know, some of them actually have second homes in Washington. I think these guys these guys get more recess than I did when I was in uh, the kindergarten. Um, well, yeah, they, you know, they, and and if they used their recesses to actually be working in their districts, you know, rolling up their sleeves and and working on the district's individual issues in a way that was visible and tangible to the district, that would be a wonderful thing. That isn't what happened. Did you, you know? see? Uh, did you see AOC's uh, town hall? The one in which the woman said, um, "We need to eat babies to save the planet." We need to eat our babies. Yeah, we need to eat all the children in order to save the planet. That's well, you know, that's how that's that that is how absurd. The you know, if you keep going to the left and just keep going, you get to cannibalism. You know, I, I have not, I didn't raise that issue in, in thinking about what I, about scripting out today's discussion. I mean, you make an excellent point that, that this woman was actually recorded saying this and, and AOC's reaction was not horror. Uh, but, but the far left is crazy. And, and, and again, 
um, we have to be careful as as conservatives, as centrists, you know, as people who want to see, you know, fact-based um, improvements in the quality of our individual lives uh, brought on by good governing policy. Um, I think you got to ignore the kind of that that kind of crazy. Now she's in a way she's absolutely right, and and we've talked about it on this program that you know the the, the human population is the basic problem um, in in the climate change equation because of the amount of CO of of CO two that we produce and that our our uh, attendant lifestyle produces, but. Eating our babies is not the way to get there. Just, just so we're all clear on that, cannibalism is not going to save the planet. Uh, and clearly, that woman um, is has issues that are beyond the scope of this program. But it is, it is a great point that that is as far left as the left goes. And you know what? That if we come full circle right here, why is Donald Trump? so busy um, tearing down Joe Biden every day. Because, well, I think Joe Biden is too old to be president. You know, um, Joe is another guy who needs to enjoy his grandchildren, and boy, does he have a passel of them. Um, and and the, he is a reluctant warrior because he looked at a field in which the top three candidates were so far left that they are in a general election going to struggle with electability. I mean, Elizabeth Warren has as many skeletons in her closet as does all, well, nobody has that many skeletons. I'm going to take that back. Hillary Clinton has does, does definitely have the, the biggest walk-in closet of skeletons. But Elizabeth Warren's path to her current position in the Senate and her current position atop the presidential polls is full, just full of fodder. And we'll be right back. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And when Ben, you know, um, pointed out to me that we had to pay the bills, I was saying there are enough skeletons in Elizabeth Warren's closet as well. So, you know, I think Democratic voters have to take a deep breath um, on the subject of age, on the subject of um, influence peddling, on a lot of subjects, and maybe reshuffle their deck. Um, in uh, before the primaries begin, but then you know that's their problem, not yours. And my, well, it, who the nominee is will become our problem. But right now, it's the Democrats' problem. So um, my point was, they should be holding town halls. Now, my congresswoman, Anna Eschew, did hold three telephone town halls last week while she was in Washington. But I went back and I read her weekly newsletter, um, and she has no public events at all in the district in the next two weeks. 
you know, I know they say they're taking the break for the High Holy Days, but let me tell you, the High Holy Days, one's behind us, two are in the middle of this week. It takes 24 hours out of that entire cycle. And then there is Columbus Day. But in the meantime, what I did not hear in these last seconds we have, what I didn't hear on that, those town halls was a lot of talk about impeachment. What I heard about was a lot of talk about the cost of health care, unaffordable, drugs, drug safety and drug pricing, and gun safety, kindergarten parents who were in tears about the fact that their kids, their babies, had to go through their first active shooter drill as kindergartners. That's the problem that our Congress needs to be focused on fixing with our, pre- our president. That's not about influence peddling. That's about saving lives and making children feel safe in their classrooms. If you want to learn more about some of the topics we've discussed today or listen to a podcast of this program, please go to ricochet.com or reimagineamerica.org. I know what interests me, but it's more important what interests you. So if you've got a question or a topic that you'd like me to cover, send me an email at joyce at reimagineamerica.org. In addition, you can find me on Facebook at Reimagine-America or Joyce Cordy on Twitter or Reimagine Radio on Twitter. Um, Reimagine is independent and nonprofit. If you appreciate our independent, results-oriented, post-political voice, please consider making a small donation at reimagineamerica.com. And on that note, have a wonderful Sunday and a great week, and we'll talk again next week. Subscribe to the Reimagine America podcast at reimagineamerica.org and ricochet.com. Email Joyce at Joyce at Reimagine America Radio. Follow her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all one word, and you can follow the show at Reimagine Radio. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Take a minute now and go to www.reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. And join us again next week for Reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.